that if you mix together mustard and ketchup and sprinkle salt and pepper on top of it, that it gives off heat. The little boy said, I did not know that. He said, it's true. We were just so happened to be having corn dogs that day. People, the diet that I eat in the summer at youth and children's camps, it's a miracle that my cholesterol is not 7,000 because of the food that they put in front of me. So we were having corn dogs that day. And the, the camp counselor said, yes, if you mix together mustard and ketchup, and then if you sprinkle salt and pepper on top of it, it gives off heat. He said, you can, you can feel the heat coming off of it. And the little boy said, I had no idea. He said, well, try it. And so the boy took the ketchup bottle. He took the mustard bottle. He took some salt. Or like some of you do when you're eating your meals. He put some salt, then he put the pepper, and he said, I don't feel anything. He said, you have to get close. It's not, a, it's not a blow furnace. You have to get close to it. And so the little boy put his hands and face over the top, and then the camp counselor mashed his hands down, and mustard and ketchup went everywhere, including on that little boy. He, it was devastating. And so afterwards, he and I were, several of those boys and I were walking back toward the recreation area. And I said, you learned a valuable lesson today, didn't you? He said, mm-hmm. I said, what do you think it was? He said, that guy's a jerk. <laughs> I said, well, that, that is a good lesson. But the real lesson is you can't, you can't listen to what everybody says. Not everybody gives you good advice. Not everybody urges you to do the right things. You know, there are some people that, that give terrible advice. In fact, when Kevin was still living, he and I used to joke about this one particular pastor. And I would always say to Kevin, you find out what he says. And then you do exactly the opposite. Because that will be the better choice. There are some people that give us really good counsel, and there are people that give us terrible counsel. And this morning, what I'd like us to do is to spend some time talking about taking some next steps in our, our relationships with other people. But I have a specific application that I want to make. I think that most of us in our church family would say, oh, I have a lot of friends. I really have people that are, that are uh, close to me and I enjoy being around them. And what we mean often when we are talking about our friendships and relationships is they are people with whom we share affection and enjoy spending time with. But Jesus did not leave us with just the types of people that we enjoy spending time with and those with whom we share affection. He put us into a family of brothers and sisters who also can speak into our lives, particularly when the words that need to be said are difficult. Your real friends will tell you the truth. They will do it lovingly. They will do it from a point of support. 
But your real friends will say to you what is hard to say because they care that much about you. Let's look at a biblical friendship today that went to some next steps. I'd like us to look together at the relationship between David and Nathan. Now, I want us to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We aren't going to read any of that passage. I'm just going to try to guide you through what, it hap- what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 11 because it lays the groundwork for what we're going to read in 2 Samuel chapter 12. So, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the Bible says in the very first verse that that David's army had gone out to war. You can understand in the springtime, the weather begins to improve, the ground dries up some, and so kings often in that time would conduct their military campaigns during the spring and summertime of the year. And so, the writer makes note of the fact that normally kings go out with their armies to fight during this time, but David did not. Instead, he sent his army to fight, but he stayed back in Jerusalem in the palace. And one evening, he was walking on the roof. Many of the the structures back in biblical times would have had a flat roof. Sometimes, you know, just to escape the oppressiveness of the inside heat, just a, a different vantage point. And so David was walking on his roof in the cool part of the day. And as he looked across the city, he saw a woman named Bathsheba bathing. Out of curiosity, David said, who is that woman? She's very attractive to me. And I can't take my eyes off her as she's bathing. Who is that? And so his servants came back to him and said, that is Bathsheba. You may not know her, but you know her husband. Her husband is Uriah. He's one of your soldiers. He's one of your 30 army rangers or navy seals. He's he's one of your core fighters. That's his wife. David said, hmm, Uriah's not at home. He's out fighting. Would you just send word to her that I would like her to come visit the palace? I know we have some little ears in here, so I'll just let you fill in the blanks of what happened next. But it was an abomination and sinful in the sight of God. After a few weeks, Bathsheba sent word to David and said, Well, we thought we got away with it, but we didn't. I'm pregnant. And David said, No problem. I'm an expert at getting out of situations, and so he sent word to the battlefield and said to his commander, Joab, send Uriah home. Tell him he's earned a vacation. He's owned military leave. He can come home now. And so Uriah did come home, and David thought he will go in and spend the evening with his wife, and then everyone will say, oh, what a miracle. He was home for one night, and, and they have a new baby boy on the way. But Uriah was too honorable. He slept outside. He said, how how could I go in and spend the evening with my wife? My fellow soldiers are out there risking their lives. I will not dishonor them by going to spend the, the evening in my home. David said, well, shucks. And so then he invited Uriah to a banquet at the palace. And the liquor flowed freely. And David said, okay, now Uriah's 
judgment isn't quite as sharp as it was. He's a little impaired. Maybe he will go home now, but he did not for the second night. So now David began to be, be, uh, to be concerned, and so he wrote a special instruction to Joab. And the instruction was, attack the fiercest part of the enemy's army and put Uriah at the fiercest of the fiercest parts of battle. And then when he is engaged in battle, give the command to retreat. And they left Uriah, and he was killed. Joab sent word back to David and said, the problem has, has been taken care of. And David said, escaped another one. And he thought he had covered his tracks so well that no one would ever know his sin. But the Lord knew. And he sent Nathan to talk with David in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. So the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he arrived, he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised her, and she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, and in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now that language seems a little odd to us, you know, if somebody's getting a farm animal in. I've seen some of you with your dogs and cats, though, so it's, it's the same thing. They don't wear clothes, people. Animals do not belong in clothes. Do not take pictures of your pets in Christmas sweaters. Verse 4. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he has done this thing and has shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. Nathan replied to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I considered evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now therefore the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel and in broad daylight. David responded to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, And the Lord has taken away your sin. He's gracious and merciful. You will not die. 
However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. Sometimes I have heard people preach sermons from this passage. And one of the lines, I've, I've read it before in commentaries. I read it preparing for this message. There and, and heard, have heard people say this. And they get to the point when, David, when Nathan said to David, you are the man. And I've, I've read and heard people say, and Nathan pointed his bony finger at David and said, you are the man. But I don't think Nathan said it to David that way at all. Nathan loved David. They were dear friends. They were close to each other. And I do not think that Nathan said, you are the man. I think Nathan said, David, it's you. I've got some things to say to you that are going to be really hard. That's how you and I can know that we have real friends. When in the areas of life, we need someone to give us the truth. And they're willing to give it. I want to split the message into two halves today. The first half, I want to talk about why we need these sorts of friends. If we are Davids, why do we need Nathans? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One is our perspectives are limited. When we are looking at all of the situations in life, when we are examining the forks in the road, when we're thinking about the, the ways that we want to live, our perspectives are limited. We don't see everything and we don't know everything. And they're limited in two ways. One, sometimes our perspectives are inaccurate. There are times when you and I make decisions and we're making those decisions based on the wrong information. Someone told us something that we thought to be true, but it turned out not to be true. Or we, we thought we had found out something and we discovered later that what we thought we found out wasn't true. Sometimes our perspectives are limited because they are inaccurate. We're making decisions based on the wrong information. And so we need other people who can step in and say, no, 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 that, that's, that's what you're thinking about is wrong. She didn't say that. He didn't do that. That's not the, the time. For example, let's say that on the way out of here today, someone asks, hey, do I need to bring anything for Collins and Evelyn's shower this afternoon at three o'clock and then someone steps in and says no 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 the shower isn't at three the shower is at two o'clock oh I thought it was at three o'clock well the person would have been making decisions on a limited perspective because their because their uh, perspective was inaccurate I've been guilty of making decisions on something that I thought to be true but it turned out that it wasn't true there have been plenty of times that people have assumed something about others based on something that they saw or noticed, and they began processing and internalizing. And before you know it, they are off on a, on a track that isn't at all accurate. And so that's why we need Nathans who can come in and say, look, what you think you know, you don't really know. Our perspectives can be limited because they are inaccurate. Our perspectives also can be limited because they're incomplete. It may not be that we 
think we know something that isn't true. It may just be that there's a crucial piece of information that we don't know at all. It, it's out there. We don't even know that we don't know it. But it would be important in making the decision. I was speaking at a college event this past summer, just a couple of months ago. And when we finished lunch, Leslie was sitting right next to me. Shelby was sitting right across the table from her. And Leslie leaned toward Shelby and asked, do I have anything in my teeth? And Shelby said, you do not. And then Shelby smiled broadly and she said, do I have anything in my teeth? And Leslie said, you do not. Now, they were operating under this second idea. They, they did not go under the perspective of, I know that I don't have anything in my teeth. We had eaten broccoli and whatever. It was first meal, they had a vegetable all summer long. And so they weren't saying, oh, I know that I don't have anything in my teeth. They recognized that their perspective was incomplete. That there was a possibility of something being important that they did not know. And so they invited the feedback, they invited the input of someone else to help give them some information that they did not have and could not get on their own. That's why we need Nathans. We make decisions in some areas and our perspective is limited because it's incomplete. There are, there are parts of the story that we don't know. There are, there are pieces of the puzzle that we don't have. And so we bring Nathans in to help us get some perspective. And both of those, both of those applications of that our perspectives are limited are, are true. They're accurate. But that's not specifically why David needed Nathan in this scenario. In this scenario, it wasn't that David's perspective was limited. In this scenario, David's perspective was biased. There's not any doubt in my mind that David knew adultery was wrong. And once he got the word that the woman in whom he was interested was married and was the wife of one of his core soldiers, he knew that what he was about to do was wrong. But he found a way to rationalize and excuse and compromise and be an exception to the rule. And that's why we need Nathans. Because even when we do have complete information, we still can manipulate and scheme and figure out ways to force the information that we have into the decision that we already wanted to make back here. Because we filter everything through the bias. Some people in their lives genuinely do seek counsel. Other people only seek confirmation. 
They only ask the people who will say what they want them to say. Or if they have trouble finding someone, they just keep asking until they eventually get to that person. It's sort of like a person who says, Boy, I'm trying to lose some weight. But that hot light at Krispy Kreme is on. Now, Lord, if, this, if today is the exception, if, if, you, if you think it's okay for me to get a hot Krispy Kreme donut, let there be a parking space right in front. And then the 24th time around, the parking space is there. That's the sign. We laugh at that idea, but we've all been there. We have all found ways to make the information fit the decision that we wanted to make to begin with. It doesn't matter how contradictory the information is. It doesn't matter how many people are advising against it. We only want someone to say, yes, what you thought, that is what you should do. And that's why we need Nathans. Because we are experts with biased perspectives. Even when we have all of the information that we need, we still can find a way to twist that information toward the wrong course of action because that's what we wanted to do to begin with. And so that's why we need them. Well, let's look at the second half of the message. I think I've made a fairly good case based on what the Scripture says here that we need Nathans in our lives. How do we find those people? As I said, they, we, we may have some people here who feel like they have a shortage of friendships, but I think that that probably would be the minority of people. But the type of relationship that I'm talking about isn't just someone with whom we share affection or enjoy spending time. The type of relationship that I'm calling us to, to have, to possess to push some of our current relationships into by taking some next steps is one that says, look, what I'm about to say to you probably is going to hurt your feelings. And it may put some distance between us, but I care too much. I have to say this to you. How do we find those people? Well, let me give you three tips based on the relationship between Nathan and David. First, we need someone who has a track record with us. When, we're, when we are looking for hard words, or at least when we are looking for someone who's willing to say hard words, we need someone who has a context with us. We need someone who already has a, a, a history with us of supporting us, of loving us. We want to make sure that the people who are passing on the difficult truth to us are people who have proven that they really care for us, that they are able to steer us based on their love for us. Now, this passage here that we have 
in 2 Samuel chapter 12 is one scene with Nathan and David. But if you wanted to do some personal Bible study of your own, you could flip back some pages and say, oh, there are Nathan and David together. There are Nathan and David together. You can see that this event was not some random occasion where Nathan showed up and said, hello, David, let me introduce myself. My name is Nathan. I am a prophet. I'm here to say something difficult for you. No, they already had a close bond with each other. They were friends with each other. Despite David's role as king, Nathan still was able to get close to him and stick with him. And so we need the same. For example, if if you were making a major life decision, you would not pull up to the gas pump and have that rolling around in your mind and just ask the person at the pump across from you, look, I'm facing a major life decision. What do you think? Just tell me what you think, and that's what I'm going to do. You have no idea who this random person is, you know, traveling, just stopped at a gas pump somewhere. You want someone. We need someone who has a context with us. They have a history with us. Second, they also need a history with with wisdom. Just because a person really loves you, just because a person really cares for us, doesn't mean that we need to seek their counsel. There are some awful decision makers in this world. I mean, you... I have seen people decide, you know what, I think I'm going to do something different with my hair. That was a terrible mistake, man. <laughs> Just shave it. Just get, start over. We want to seek the counsel of people who have a track record with wisdom. Not just that they are willing to say what is hard to us. When, when we are seeking, hey, I want to take a next step in a relationship with a person. I want to be so close to that person that they even will steer me in the right direction when I am determined to go in the wrong direction. We need someone who knows the right direction. Let me give you a couple of sports analogies. In basketball, if the other team commits a technical foul... Some of you may be basketball fans. Some of you may not be. If the other team commits a technical foul, then your team gets to select one player to go to the free throw line and shoot free throws. The coach always chooses the best free throw shooter. He says, if we've gotten a technical foul and we have a chance to get one or two free points here, I'm going to choose the best free throw shooter I have. I'm not going to choose the guy who makes about 50% of the free throws. I'm going to choose the guy that makes about 85% of his free throws. He has a better track record. And so, so in this situation, I'm going to rely on him. Let me use another sports analogy. If in the bottom of the ninth inning, a team really needs a base hit to tie or win the game, The coach looks up and down the bench, and he selects the best available hitter for the situation. He doesn't choose the guy who has struck out 26 times in a row. He says, this guy, that's why I was never chosen. He said, this guy, this is the one because of his track record. When we're thinking about, God, I'd really like to take the next step 
in some relationships with people. I, I want to live well. I want to honor you in all that I do. And I know that sometimes that means someone will have to tell me that I'm about to do something wrong or I am making some poor decisions. So we need someone with a track record with us. We need someone who has a track record with wisdom. We need someone who is able to speak to us in a way that understands in a way that we will understand, and they need to speak with courage. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about here. In this passage, beginning in verse 1, Nathan went to David, and he told him a story about a, about a very wealthy man who had a whole flock of sheep. And in the story, he included someone who had just one little poor lamb, and so a visitor came to town, and David said, The rich man, instead of going out with his massive flock on the hillside, he went to the, he went to the poor man, and he got that little pet lamb that this, that this man loved dearly. And he said, I'm going to take him, and I'm going to serve him for dinner tonight. And David, because he was a shepherd, remember, that's what David was before he became king. He knew the intimate relationship between shepherds and their lambs. He could call them by name. And so he was enraged by this. He said, that man deserves to die. And Nathan knew that he had gotten through to David. Had Nathan come inside and said, David, got something to say to you. David's defenses probably would have gone up. He would have said, you get out of here. But Nathan, instead of barging through the front door, came through the back door. And David's confession at the end was, I have sinned. I have done what is wrong. And so we need to find someone who is able to speak to us in a way that we get it, that we understand. How many times have you moms and dads had your child come home from school Maybe they had been wrestling with a difficult situation and they came in and said to you, well, I know what I'm going to do about this situation. I was talking to coach so-and-so today and he told me to do this and you were saying, that's what I've been telling you to do for weeks. That's exactly what I've been saying. But the coach had a way of saying it that got through. And so we need people who know us well enough that the hard words can get through. Rather than rejecting, rather than turning away, we need people who are able to, to know us well enough to say, look, here's, here's how I need to say that. And I need to say it with courage. We need people with a track record, both with us and with wisdom. We need people who will know how to talk with us to get the message through, and then they need to speak with courage. Now, let me show you what I mean here. Not one servant, to, to our knowledge, based on what the Scripture says, not one servant, when David asked, who is that woman, said, David, don't do this. Not one servant said, David, God's not going to bless you if you do what you want to do. Stay away from her. Not one servant did. In fact, they facilitated the agreement. When Joab got the word out on the battlefield, 
He did not question. He did not say, David, Uriah is one of your... I'm not going to do it. I don't know what's going on back home. I don't know what's caused this, but this is wrong. They all just went along with him in order not to alienate themselves from him. That's not a true friend. The true friend who will not intervene when he or she knows you are about to mess up or are messing up is not a true friend. It's the, it's the one who says, I know you are going to be angry with me, and we may have to process and work through this, but I'm telling you, you're wrong. That's a next step friendship. There's a passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 18 where the king of Israel was about, king of Judah was about to go out to war. And so he gathered his military advisors around him. And he, or the king, I'm sorry, it was the king of Israel who was going out to war. And the king of Judah was going to join him as an, as an ally. And so they got together and the king of Israel called in his military advisors and the religious leaders. And he said, all right, I'm, I'm going out to battle. Does anybody have anything to say to me? And all of them said, King, you are wonderful. You're incredible. You are going to go out. This is just going to be another red-letter day for us. We are going to win another victory. And the king of Judah looked back and said, I, something about this seems a little phony to me. Everybody's just, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. He said, don't we have a prophet of the Lord here? that we can inquire of to see whether we should go out to battle. And the king said, yes, there's one. His name is Micaiah, but I hate him. And then this was his rationale, because he never tells me what I want to hear. And the king of Judah said, well, I won't go out to battle until we hear from him. And so they brought him in, and he said, he, in a sarcastic tone, he said, Oh, yes, of course, go out and win. You're going to win like you always do. But you can tell by the way the king of Israel responded that it was a sarcastic tone. And he, he then said to the king of Judah, See, I told you, he never tells me what I want to hear. And there are people who fill their lives only with people who tell them what they want to hear. And any people who don't tell them what they want to hear, they say, I hate him. The next step in biblical relationships with each other is that we don't simply enjoy spending time with each other and share affection with each other that we care enough to say, you are making a mistake. And I know you're going to get upset that I'm saying this, but what you're doing is wrong. That's true friendship. And it's the kind of relationship that we need. Philip's going to come and lead us in a closing song of commitment today. Now, I always try to include the fact that Whenever we share biblical instructions, they really only apply to people who have received Jesus Christ as Savior. We can't put into practice the standards that God lays out for us without the help 
of Jesus living inside of us. And so perhaps there are people today who are wondering about your own relationship with God, wrestling with beginning uh, to walk with Jesus. As we sing together, I'm going to be standing here at the front for just a moment, and I would love to talk with you about how you can begin following Jesus Christ. If there are other ways that God has spoken to you today and you'd like me to pray for you, I I will be glad to do that as well. Let's all stand together. Philip, what are we going to sing?